Peace to you. Welcome back to the Naked Truth and thank you for joining me. We're going to pick up in the Old Testament where we left off in the book of 2 Samuel uh, at chapter 3. If you would like to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David grew stronger and stronger and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. So people we're talking about are David, that's the David and Goliath, David and Saul is the now deceased um, king of Israel, the first king of Israel. Um, actually, um, uh, but now David has been anointed, the, or uh, uh, yeah, I guess anointed or uh, inaugurated as the new king of the Judean group of, actually, I guess it would be the king of the Jews since the Judeans are the only, uh, Judah are the only tribe, Judah is the only tribe that has elected to have David, one of the relatives of that particular tribe of the Israelites as their leader, whereas all the rest of the tribes have um, chosen to um, stay um, loyal to Saul, even though he's dead now, um, and his um, leadership. Um, but, and his sons are dead too, except for one. So, um, that's how the division is broke, how it's divided up. The Israelites as the house of Israel under Saul and the, uh, um, tribe of Judah as, um, um, with David as their leader. Um, verse two, sons were born to David in Hebrew and his firstborn was Amon, Amnon by Ahinon, the Jezreelitess. So um, David's having kids now, and the first one is Amnon, a scoundrel, uh, but he hasn't gotten to that point yet, but I seem to recall him being pretty scandalous. Um, that's his firstborn, um, and he's got more than one wife, as we've read before. Verse 3, his second, Chalib by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, the third, Absalom, the son of Maka, uh, the daughter of Talmay, king of Geshur. So he's got at least two wives and apparently a baby mama um, as with um, who has given him another child. Um, verse 4, the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, the fifth, Shephatiah, the son of Abitai. So um, he's got lots of wives and side pieces and baby mamas. Uh, so there goes that whole right-wing idea in modern times that marriage is supposed to be one man, one woman, according to the Bible. It's not, as we just read, and this isn't even the first example, definitely won't be the last example of Bible thumpers getting it wrong, misleading people with lies about the Bible uh, to herd people into a way of thinking that is nothing but a lie, and it's a slippery slope into believing the rest of the lies. Uh, verse 5, and the sixth, Ithrim, by David's wife, Egla. These were born to David in Hebron. So David's having lots of kids from lots of different women, and uh, none of it is condemned by society, by the norms, by God at all. Verse 6, now it was so while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul. So Abner is sort of the military general of the Israelite tribes, um, the ones who are opposed to having David as their leader. And he's apparently gaining strength. 
verse 7. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah. So Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? So Ishbosheth is the surviving descendant of Saul. Again, Saul and his sons were killed, except for Ishbosheth, one of his sons. And um, he's now speaking up about uh, why one of his father's, deceased father's generals, Joab, has decided to have sex with one of his father's widows, even though she's not, she wasn't a wife, so she's not technically a widow. She's a concubine, which again is basically a side piece, um, but an official side piece. So she gets the respect of being uh, not a wife, not really a mistress, um, but a side piece, officially a side piece. So he's wondering, what's up with that? Why are you hooking up with one of my father's uh, side pieces? Uh, verse 8. And Abner became very angry at the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? Today I show loyalty to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not delivered you into the hand of David. You charged me today with a fault concerning this woman. So Joab, I'm sorry, Abner is outraged at the fact that he's being called out for um, breaking the rules for having uh, sex with one of the now deceased kings surviving. We'll just call her a widow. Um, so uh, he's outraged at the fact that Ishbosheth would even have the nerve to call him out for that. Um, and he's saying that he basically saying he could have delivered him up to David, um, the opposing army, by now if he had wanted to. That is sort of a, it's not really true. I mean, he could have done it, but David has already shown again and again that he's unwilling to um, kill any of Saul's family, Saul's descendants, partially because he made a contract, a covenant as it's called, with his son, with one of Saul's sons, Jonathan, the one who he had the love affair with, the soulmate relationship with, that he'd look out for. They'd look out for each other's family and descendants. So that's probably part of why he won't do it, why he wouldn't have done Ishbosheth in any way, but also because he seems to have this, um, it reads kind of sanctimonious idea that, um, it would be wrong for him to do anything against anyone who's considered the Lord's anointed to rule over the kingdom. And um, so Abner's basically making that veiled threat. It doesn't really ring true with what would probably have happened to Ishbosheth if he had handed him over. But the point of it is that Abner's ticked off at some, at how dare someone tell him who it is he can hook up with especially um, some woman that belonged to the king who's now dead. Verse 9, May God do so to Abner, and more also if I do not do for David as the Lord has sworn to him. So now Abner so ticked off that he's saying um, that he's going to be sure to um, make sure that David becomes the next king as um, the prophecy that Samuel gave and as the prophecy I'm sorry, it's the prophecy that Samuel gave when he was alive and then also that he gave during the seance after he died to the medium 
He's saying, basically, he's saying he's going to do all that he can to make sure that prophecy does come true now. Verse 10, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. So now he's saying he's going to do all that he can to make the prophecy come true and in that way unite all the tribes from Dan, which is the northern, um, uh, probably northernmost um, tribe of the um, dozen or so tribes to the southernmost tribe, Beersheba, um, which is, would be a part of Judah, which David already um, has been elected king over. He's basically saying he's going to do all that he can now um, to bring all the tribes together under the ruler of under the leadership of David now as king. And basically saying, bump the house of Saul and Ishbosheth and anyone and anything that would be loyal to keeping that as the king over them. Verse 11, and he could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. So um, Abner is uh, is sort of like how Dick Cheney used to be, um, calling shots from the um, back seat. And, um, and it was enough to scare um, Ishbosheth from speaking back out against him. And um, so he's basically been quieted by Abner throwing a fit over the widow. Verse 12, then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to David, saying, Whose who's is the land? Saying also, Make your covenant with me, and indeed my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to you. So now he's basically acting treacherously, um, moving outside of the authority of the leadership he's um, supposedly loyal to, Ishbosheth and the house of Saul, to go and directly make contact with David to form a new alliance with him and um, bring all of the tribes under the hand of David's leadership. Verse 13, and David said, good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. So um, it's not enough that David has um, more than one wife and plenty of side pieces and children from them. He also wants Michael, the daughter of Saul, who he was given, because remember, women at this point are property, treated as property, to be given in marriage, just like they are in modern times, by their father. And then if their father is dead, or if they are um, uh, another man's property once they've been married and divorced, or married and uh, widowed, then they're the property of the uh, well until that point they're the property of that man and to be given in marriage again as property um so he's demanding that if saul i'm sorry if um abner wants to solidify and make the alliance with that he's proposing with david solid if he wants to make it real then one of the conditions of the agreement is to get his wife michael and bring her back to him because she uh, was given to another man by her father. She was originally given to David for defeating Goliath. Then in treachery, Saul gave her to some other man um, when he fell out of favor. When David fell out of Saul's favor, then he took his daughter, Michael, from David and gave her as property to another man. Uh, verse 14, so David sent messengers to Ishbosheth. Saul's son saying, give me my wife, Michael, whom I betrothed to myself for a hundred 
foreskins of the Philistines. So if you've read with me before, and if it's new to you, then you can read back that episode yourself. I think I labeled it 200 penises, as um, that's what David did. He was told that he could have Michael if he brought 100 foreskins, which is the, you know, the wrapping around the head of the penis um, of the Philistines, the enemies of Saul. It was said so that David would fall in battle to the Philistines, but instead David was victorious over the Philistines and um, brought back those, instead of 100, 200 foreskins uh, from the Philistines and delivered them to Saul rather than being killed by the Philistines. So in doing that, he that was basically the dowry. That was what he purchased um, uh, Michael with from her father, uh, Saul, when he was still alive. Um, so that's what's being referred to here in verse 14. Um, and he's saying because he did that, then he rightfully purchased Michael for himself. And so she was his wife, even though later on, like I said, she was given to someone else. And he's demanding that she be returned to him. She is his property. Verse 15, And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, from Paltiel, the son of Laish. So even though the agreement was made with Abner, Ishbosheth, the new king of the Israelites, not of the Jews, since um, Jews are the Judeans, the uh, that David is king over at this point. Um, but instead of the rest of the tribes, Ishbosheth is the one who's actually following through with the agreement that Abner made to um, bring all the tribes together. So he's taking her back from her husband. Um, Paltiel is his name here. I thought it was a different name when we read it previously. Um, okay, it was Palti. So it's just spelled differently here. Um, and so now he's she's been taken back from him and now given back to her the man who originally purchased her, David, um, as his wife now. Um, let's see. One more sign also that the Bible is full of patriarchy from Genesis to Revelation. And the only part of the Bible that I've been able to spot that isn't patriarchal but actually doesn't show any partiality to the sexes is the red letters of Jesus. Um other than that, the rest of the Bible is entirely patriarch patriarchal and also, in my mind, means that it can't all possibly be from God Almighty because why would God Almighty be um, misogynistic? Why would God Almighty um, prefer one sex over the other, male or female? Um, especially when, according to the Bible, Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, God Almighty, God self is male and female. Um, and created people, male and female, the first people, created them male and female, not men and women, but created them male and female, as you might think of intersex or transgendered, um, having the attributes of both sexes. And that's according to the Bible, not me. So um, why would God prefer one sex over the other? And if God did prefer one sex over the other, why would God prefer the sex created after the, the second sex created over the first one. Why would God create males when males weren't created first? It just doesn't make sense that it be uh, God um, preferring men over women 
even though that's what most of the Bible is full of. Verse 16, then her husband went along with her to Bahurim, weeping behind her. So Abner said to him, go return. And he returned. So um, Michael's latest husband um, doesn't seem all that manly. He's crying behind her, but giving her up, but um, following her on her way to um, her new husband. And um, just like that, he's been ordered to, man, go on by Abner. And just like Abner struck fear in Ishbosheth, apparently he struck fear in um, Paltiel also. So he turned back from following his wife, being taken away from him and given to the man who owned her before he had her. Verse 17. Now Abner had communicated with the elders of Israel, saying, In time past you were seeking for David to be king over you. So now Abner has taken the lead again in making the pronunciations, even though it was Ishbosheth who sent and had her taken from her husband. But now Abner's speaking up and um, reminding the people that uh, previously they did want David to be king over them. That was before Saul chased him off. Verse 18, now then do it. For the Lord has spoken of David, saying, by the hand of my servant David, I will save my people. Israel from the hand of the Philistines and the hand of all their enemies. So now Abner's reflecting back on the prophecies again that Samuel gave previously that a new king has been chosen to replace Saul while Saul was still alive. That um, uh, prophecy was given to Saul, as a matter of fact. And that's sort of what drove him, it seems, fueled his hatred of David in driving David out from around him and out from around all the people, and put David in exile with the 600 men and their families who were loyal to following him rather than following the house of Israel as directed by Saul. Um, so that seems to be what, um, what um, Abner is reflecting back on now. Let's see, verse 19, And Abner also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin. Then uh, then Abner also went to speak in the hearing of David in Hebron, all that seemed good to Israel and the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner is going basically by the major tribes, the largest tribes, um, or at least two of them, Benjamin and Judah, and um, speaking to them about basically his plans to uh, bring all the tribes together. Verse 20, so Abner and 20 men with him came to David at Hebron, and David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. So now Abner has made it on to David um, with his men following him um, and his plan to unite the kingdom. And so David's throwing a party for him, a feast. Verse 21, then Abner said to David, I will arise and go and gather all Israel to my lord, the king, that they may make a covenant with you and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. So now because Abner um, took that one woman, um, who the king's son, Ishbosheth felt was off limits or uh, wrong of him to do, because of that, that was enough to turn him against the whole kingdom or against following the king and the king's family and turn the whole kingdom into date over to David's hands um, with his um, direction. It sort of reminds me of um, the story of John the Baptist when he told the king that it was unlawful for him to have 
uh, his brother's wife, that that was enough to get him him get him killed, get him executed um, uh, by the scandalous story there of the king getting the hots for watching his stepdaughter dance for him. Um, that was enough to get him to go to make an agreement to have John the Baptist beheaded, and he did. So now because uh, Abner um, put his hands on the wrong woman in Ishbosheth's eyes, the new king's eyes, that was enough to make him turn on that new king and have all the rest of the tribes turn and follow David, which he's saying originally they were willing to do anyway. Verse 22, at that moment, the servants of David and Joab came from a raid and brought much spoil with them. And, um, um, but Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away and he had gone in peace. So now um, Joab, which is one of David's generals, basically sort of like the equivalent of Abner, but on the other side, of, uh, on David's side, has now returned. And Abner has been sent away in peace, even though they weren't at peace before. They were opposing armies, basically. David's army with Joab and uh, Saul's army with Abner. Saul is dead, and now Abner was faithful to Ishbosheth, but because of the widow, he's fallen out of favor um, in Abner's eyes, and he's basically gone and aligned, aligned himself with David. Um, and now he's left in peace, meaning he and David made that agreement. It was a peace treaty and an agreement to form the alliance for all of the tribes. But now one of David's generals, his main man, Joab, has returned from the raids they do, which is basically uh, pillaging and plundering their enemies. Verse 23, when Joab and all the troops that were with him had come, they told Joab, saying, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he sent him away, and he's gone in peace. So now the word has gotten back to Joab that someone he hates, because um, Joab is relative is a is a relative of some of the people that have fallen in battle to Abner, um, namely Asahel, one of his brothers, if I recall, um, who Abner killed because his brother refused to um, listen to Abner's voice and go arm himself and um, and properly properly um, armor himself if he was going to battle with Abner. And he refused to. He was hard-headed, and it ended up costing him his life. Um, and Joab has is basically still holding that against him. It was his brother. Um, so now people have let, have let him know, uh, look, the one who killed your brother has made a peace treaty with the king you're loyal to. David, verse 24, Then Joab came to the king and said, What have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why is it that you sent him away and he's already gone? So now Joab is wondering, what's up with that? Your enemy came to you and you let him go in peace? Basically saying, you could have killed him. Why didn't you take him out? Verse 25, especially also since he's the one who killed his brother. Verse 25, surely you realize that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you, to know you're going out and you're coming in, and to know all that you're doing. So um, Joab is planting seeds of doubt with David. Um, about the alliance that Abner was proposing, saying that Abner's only purpose was to um, basically uh, stab him in the back, to make an alliance with him and then turn on him. Verse 26, and when Joab had gone from David, uh, did we skip one? 
Oh, okay, so verse 26, And when Joab had gone from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, who brought him back from the well of Sarah. But David did not know it. So now Joab is taking things into his own hands to deal with Abner, since he sees that David has um, betrayed him in his own mind anyway, by forming an alliance with Abner, his enemy. Joab's enemy, not David's enemy any longer. Um, and in, in Abner's mind, he's probably not even Joab's enemy, but in Joab's mind, Abner is his enemy since he killed one of his brothers and also some of his other family members. Verse 27. Now when Abner had returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him privately and there stabbed him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. So there it is. He got revenge. On um, the uh, he avenged the death of his brother at the hands of Abner by um, getting some of his servants to call him back to a place where he thought he uh, was at peace, where he thought he would be safe in David's kingdom. Um, and no, not the case. Joab stabbed him instead of in the back, stabbed him in the stomach, and killed him. But after he made the whole peace treaty with David. Verse 28, afterward, when David heard it, he said, My kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord, before the blood, forever. Let me see this one again. Verse 28, afterward, when David heard it, he said, My kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord forever of the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. So um, David is um, saying that the blood ain't on his hands. Um, he had peace with Abner at the time of his death, and he didn't have anything to do with Abner being um, executed. Lord here also, by the way, is being translated from the name Jehovah. So just so you understand, uh, like if, you, if this is your first time reading with me, the word Lord in English is not translated from the same word or name, deity or entity consistently throughout the Bible. It changes. Um, but um, it could be El, it could be Yah, it could be Jehovah. It could be Yahweh. It could be those different names that um, people are calling or are worshiping as their God. But in English, they all get translated to the word Lord, um, even though they're different entities, entities and with different personalities related uh, or at least attributed to those entities. Um, just, you know, as a footnote. Um, so David is basically saying that blood's not on my hands. Verse 29, let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house, and let there never fail to be in the house of Joab one who has a discharge or is a leper, who leans on a staff or falls by the sword or who lacks bread. For, for, so for some reason, David is taking it upon himself to curse, basically, the house of Joab and all of his descendants because he took it into his hands to avenge the killing of one of his family members. Why David feels the need to do all that, I'm not sure. I guess because he knows that he was at peace with Abner at the time that that execution took place. And I guess he feels like only he has the authority to pronounce such um, curses on people who betray him. Um, but Joab felt justified in avenging the blood of his family member. Um, but in doing so, David is basically, again, pronounced a curse on Joab and his descendants um, for doing that. 
Verse 30, so Joab and Abishai, his brother, were killed. I'm sorry, so Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had killed their brother Asahel at Gibeon in the battle. So now not only is it Joab being, um, uh, whose hands are being stained with the blood of Abner, but also Abishai, his brother, um, they're both being blamed for um, what uh, they did to Abner in killing him at the gate. Um, verse 31, then David said to Joab and all the people who were with him, tear, tear your clothes, gird yourselves with sackcloth and mourn for Abner. And King David followed the coffin. So now it seems real sanctimonious yet again. Suddenly now he's um, all torn up and broken up at the fact that one of his enemies was killed. He was acted that way when Saul, who chased him out of the kingdom, got killed. Now he's acting that way over one of Saul's generals, Abner, being killed. Um, uh, and he's telling everyone to basically mourn and lament over the fact that Abner um, has been killed. Verse 32, so they buried Abner in Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the gate at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. So now again, David's putting on this show, and it may be real, but he's putting on this show of being torn up and broken up over the fact that one of his enemies, uh, a general over the army that was hunting him, has been killed now. Verse 33, and the king sang a lament over Abner and said, should Abner die as a fool dies? So now he's writing another song, or as the word psalm, the book of psalms sort of implies it's a book of songs also. So um, he's uh, writing a song over the death of Abner, um, lamenting how Abner died, uh, basically with treachery, I guess. Verse 34, your hands were not bound, nor your feet put into fetters, as a man falls before wicked men, so you fell. Then all the people wept over him again. So the people just followed, it seems like puppets. Whatever David does, they do also. So because he's broken up over Abner being killed, they're also broken up over it. Um, and he's um, basically saying that the way Abner died wasn't right because he's dying the same way prisoners would be killed, um, bound by their enemies or as wicked people would be killed. He's saying that's how Abner also was killed. So apparently he has no problem with the fact that Abner took to wife one of um, the kings who he was so concerned with, concerned with before, not wanting to kill Saul because he's the Lord's anointed. Um, that was one of Saul's wives. So he's okay with that then, that Abner took one of Saul's wives to himself. It's, again, sanctimonious. I don't want to wear the word out, but that's what it reads as, very sanctimonious, like a show of piety just for show's sake. Because if you really look at it, um, Abner did something he wasn't supposed to do. So why is he all broken up? And the fact that he's paid a price for it, if you're really going to look at it that way. Um, verse 35, when all the people came to per persuade David to eat food, did we miss one? Uh, did we miss one? Uh, verse 34. Your hands were not bound. No, we did read that. Okay. So verse 35. And when all the people came to persuade David to eat food while it was still day, David took an oath saying, God do so and more also if 
Okay, so you get to read this one for yourself, and then I'm gonna I'm just, I'm gonna read to you what it's I'm gonna tell you what it's saying. So basically, David is making another oath, swearing another oath um, that um, may God do so to him and whoever else eats anything before the sun goes down. They love to make these rash oaths to just make promises and vows um, uh, with invoking God's name to um, carry out the punishment on them or whoever um, um, crosses them in the oath that they're making. So basically, he's um, saying he's going to fast um, and not eat anything until the sun goes down. And he's saying, and basically God strike and God help the man who doesn't do it also. And so he's putting all the other people, all the people under him also under that oath not to eat anything, all in dedication to or recognition of the fact that Abner has been killed. Verse 36, now all the people took note of it and it pleased them since whatever the king did pleased all the people. So again, the people are acting like puppets or sheeple, as people like to say now, blind sheep, just following whatever it is the king tells them or whatever he does, they do likewise. Um, the narrator is pointing out now in that verse 36 that whatever the king does, they also do since whatever the king does pleases them. Uh, so they also have taken that oath also to not eat anything in recognition of the death of Abner. Verse 37, for all the people in all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's intent to kill Abner, the son of, Ur, of Ner. So they're recognizing that the treachery wasn't the king's. It was all on Joab and that um, the death of Abner has affected David greatly. So they're recognizing his mourning by mourning also. Verse 38, then the king said to his servants, do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? So um, once again, David is making it clear that he held Abner in high esteem um, even though Abner, again, was the general of the man who was hunting him, who had them all on the run. And even though Abner also is the man who took to wife the Lord's anointed, Saul's, that would be uh, his widow to himself, which wasn't really for him to do. Ishbosheth was still alive. So if anything, shouldn't she also have belonged to Ishbosheth, the one who called him out for taking her to wife? But um, no, none of that. Uh, his um i don't know his um righteousness seems very uh wishy-washy sometimes i guess like most people's so but anyway he's um saying that abner was a great man and that that's why uh he's so moved by his death um verse 39 um weak today though anointed king and these men the sons of zariah are too harsh for me the Lord shall repay the evil do according to his wickedness. So that's a lot of nerve. David is now saying how weak he is, basically broken up and torn up over the fact that even though he's anointed king that day, over all the tribes now, basically, they've all been united under him now through the work of Abner, through that um, decree of Abner and his um, wielding power, authority over all the rest of the tribes. David already had the tribe of Judah under his belt. Now he's got all of them united to him, thanks to Abner. And he's saying, even though now he's king of all of the people, all the children of Israel, um, he can't really rejoice in that so much since Abner has been killed. And now he's even calling out Joab and Abishai, the brothers who 
kill um, their enemy, Abner. Um, he's saying they're too harsh for him, even though he's gone around and done the same thing. He's gone around and raided and pillaged and plundered and massacred plenty of people up to this point. But now because I get, because it gets that close to him without his um, approval of it, now he's suddenly broken up about it and thinks that they're too bloodthirsty. They're too vicious for him, um, Joab and his brother. Um, again, sanctimonious is the word that comes to mind for me. But he, And now he's even having the nerve to say that the Lord will repay the people, um, the evildoer for their wickedness. Um, how he considers that wickedness, but doesn't consider the own thing, all the things he's done as wickedness also, or evil doing, is beyond me. But it is what David is saying here, and he's basically letting them know that they're going to reap what they sow in um, in their treachery to Abner in killing him. Although it wasn't treacherous to them, they made it clear that Abner was no friend of theirs. He killed their brother. Abner was a friend of David's, and only now because. He was rebuked by the king's family for um, taking one of his widows to wife himself, uh, and not even wife. Um, just took he had sex with her. He didn't say he married her or um, anything like that. He just had sex with her, went into her, as it's described, and that's what that means: having sex when you go into somebody. Um, so I don't know. It's a mixed chapter, but that was the last verse of this chapter. So that's where we'll end this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. I hope it's a blessing for you and that you'll join me again. I love you, and I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.